Thank you for joining us for this broadcast from the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ in Haleyville, Alabama. We hope that you will subscribe. Well, good morning. Are you glad to be here today? I hope so. I hope that you are. I want you to open your Bibles back up to Colossians chapter 3. That's where we're going to get to here in just a few moments. Colossians chapter 3. It is um, election season which is almost sometimes as exciting to watch as any sports season in America. I have probably the only political joke you'll hear me tell all year, and it's really not about politics. Uh, it's, a, it's a story about a politician who's trying to drum up votes, so he goes to the local retirement home to introduce himself and try to uh, talk to some people. He walks into a woman's room, knocks on the door, walks into her room, he says, ma'am, it's good to see you today. She goes, well, it's good to see you too. He goes, do you know who I am? She said, no, sir, but if you'll take the second left at the nurse's station, there's a lady there that will help you remember. <laughs> How many of you have a habit or, or uh, the ability to very easily be forgetful? Anybody struggle with that? I struggle with being forgetful all the time. And then today, what I want us to talk about as we continue and wrap up our series on baptism is I want us to talk for a little while about some things maybe within this teaching of baptism that we have been forgetful about. We started out talking about the idea of, of the importance of salvation and the essentialness of salvation that comes through that moment of baptism. And, and that baptism, Paul says in, in uh, 1 Peter, he says that baptism saves you, but it's not just getting wet. It's not just about that. It's about pledging your life to God, and when those two things happen in conjunction with each other, you find a way of salvation. Just as importantly, last week, we talked about uh, some things where we've been silent. We, we talked about the importance of the Holy Spirit just in the role of our life in general, but specifically in the role of our salvation, that the Holy Spirit we receive at the moment of our baptism and that that Holy Spirit guarantees our salvation and we can have assurance in that throughout our life. We talked, the second lesson was about where we have sometimes been guilty of fighting the Bible against the Bible as we try to argue, um, as we try to argue baptism instead of teach baptism. And, and so it's, it's very important that we remember that we don't argue the Bible against itself. We find the Bible, we listen to all that it has to say, and we figure out how to put those things together in a fullness kind of way. And then today we're going to talk about some ideas of where we might have been for, for forgetful. Now, uh, as you read the Old Testament, one thing that the Israelites were so good at doing was creating memorials, creating monuments. And they did that for a specific purpose. After a, a big event, uh, we just got through within the last handful of months of talking through on, on Sunday nights, I think it was, through the book of Joshua. And when they crossed the Jordan River, do you remember what they had to do? They, they picked 12 men and they said, okay, you guys go back into the riverbed and pick up some big what? Some big rocks. And when you come out of it, you build this memorial right here on this side of the Jordan River. And what was the purpose of that memorial? So that they could always come back to that place. So they could always come back to that spot and look at it and remember 
the amazing thing that had happened at that moment and at that spot. There's another great part of, of, of Jewish history that, that many Jews still, still practice today as a part of their heritage, and it's called Passover. Okay, from Passover, we get communion, we get the Lord's Supper, but Passover was something they do and still do every year to remember what? To remember how God led them out of Israel. The, the, the Jewish people, the Israelites of the Old Testament, God himself was great about coming up with creative ways to create memorial moments that no matter where you are, what's going on, you can look back on that moment and you can remember the excitement of that moment. You can remember the power of that moment. You can remember the importance of that moment. Sometimes I believe if we're not careful, we forget how important that moment of our baptism truly was. Especially if we were baptized when we were young and we have grown and grown and grown from that point and, and we, we, we forget, we, we, we hear, we hear the, the sermons. I mean, some of, there's a lot of you, the things that I've said over the last four weeks, it's not been new at all. It's stuff that you know. It's stuff that you've heard. And it's easy when you hear things over and over and over again and the further you get back, get away, rather get away from a significant moment in your life, the easier it is to be forgetful of those things. I think we have a possession. Um, now, I believe our baptism, just like with the, the things of the Old Testament, our baptism is that moment of, of remembrance for us. That Yes, it is that moment of salvation, but that time, that moment, that physical act, the, 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 the people that were maybe there with you, that moment in time should serve for us as a monumental moment that no matter where we are in our life, no matter what's going on, we can turn around and we can look back at that moment and we can remember some very significant and important things. One of the things that I think it's important that we remember when we look back at that moment is that we are saved by grace. We are saved by grace. You and I, we have absolutely zero ability to save ourselves. We have absolutely zero ability to forgive ourselves. I was asked one time, I was asked one time, it was a very interesting question. This lady asked me, she said, how many people have you baptized? And I just looked at her and I told her, I go, I really don't know. She goes, well, what do you mean you don't know? You don't know how many people you've saved? Now, what's wrong with that statement? I can't save anybody. I can help them get to that point. I can encourage them. But the Holy Spirit convicts them. The blood of Jesus saves them. So I don't tend to keep a, a tally of how many people I've baptized because I don't have any power to accomplish anything in that moment. It is all about God and about His grace. And it needs to, we need to remember that in that moment, it was all about what God did, what Jesus did, what the Holy Spirit did. And But there's, there's a flip side to that, okay? So they did those things, but you and I, when we went down in those waters and we came up, we made a very important commitment. And that important commitment should remind us of who and whose we are. Who and whose we are. And I think that's important because when you become a child of God, when you become a child of God, 
It's not just about, it's not just about forgiveness. And I think we're guilty of that sometimes too. That we teach this idea that, that salvation or baptism is just about the forgiveness of sins, but it is also about a commitment that you're making to God that you're saying, God, you are the Lord of my life now. You are the ruler of my life. It's not about what I want. It's not about anything that the world has to offer. It is about what you want from me, and I totally commit myself to you. Now, are we going to be able to uphold a total commitment without ever falling short? No, we're not. But the thing is, as long as we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we still have fellowship with him and the blood of Christ continues to cleanse us. As long as we live that life, as we've talked about, defined as a Christian and not defined as a sinner, then we are going to have fellowship with God. But it's important that we remember that when we look back at our moment of baptism, that it reminds us that we were saved by grace and that has nothing to do with me. That has nothing to do with you. We are powerless without the grace of God. And secondly, we belong to Jesus now. We are at His mercy. We are, we are here to serve Him. You know, sometimes we get that backwards. We get this church thing backwards where it's really kind of more like an all-you-can-eat buffet, right? It's about being served instead of serving. It's about someone doing something for me instead of me doing something for someone else. That's one of the things that, that I, I struggle with sometimes in this particular moment of worship because I'm up here talking and talking and talking and you're sitting there and some of you are sitting there paying attention. Some of you are sitting there trying not to go to sleep. Some of you are sitting there thinking about what we're having for lunch here in a little bit. Some of you think it's too cold in here. Some of you think it's too hot in here. And if you're not really, really focused, it's going to be hard to completely pay attention. That's why I like to walk around and like to, to be a little energetic so that maybe, maybe I can keep you from falling asleep. That's, that's my goal. And so... Speaking of forgetting, just totally lost what I was fixing to say there. It's easy to get the mindset that you come in this building to get, not to give. But this whole relationship with God is about giving back to Him. Look at what He's done for you. Look at what He's done to you. Look at what He's doing through you. And you be willing to give back to Him. Now, I want us to spend the rest of our time today in first, I'm sorry, in Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. So go there with me. Brighton read the first few verses of that for us, and we're going to get to that first few verses along with the next several. But the first thing that I want you to think about with me this morning, okay, that we need to remember about our baptism. Okay, Baptism reminds me first that I see life from a new perspective. I see life from a new perspective. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life. I love that. If you don't have that underlined in your Bible, underline it. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. But the very first thing he says here, he says, then, so you've been raised from Christ, set your heart on things where? Above, okay, not on what type of things? Earthly things. Earthly things. How many of you like your earthly things? Raise your hand if you like your earthly things. Okay, if you're not raising your hands, 
I'm going to almost go as far as to say you're lying this morning. Because we love our earthly things, okay? How many of you have one of these? In some shape, form, or fashion. Okay? How many of you, how many of you would feel like, how many of you would feel like you're totally lost if I were to walk up to you and take your cell phone away from you for the rest of the day? How many of you have been like, I can't function? Like, be honest. I, I'm just, hey, I do a lot of work through this thing, okay? I do a lot of emailing, a lot of communicating, a lot of text messaging. I do a lot of, I mean, I do, I do. If you ever see me playing on my phone during church, during worship, nine times out of ten, one of two things has happened, okay? Blair's text me from where she's sitting to where I'm sitting because I need to know something. Number two, I'm doing last-minute research on something in my sermon that's hit me while I'm sitting in the pew, so I'm trying to, to connect it together. I mean, I, I use it daily, okay? We enjoy this thing, and we feel like our life would be turned upside down if we didn't have it all of a sudden. But would it really? Or would it just feel that way? Because half of you, half of you raised your kids, went to work, did all these things nearly your entire life, and some of you steal your life, without ever having a smartphone, and I, some of us can't believe that you actually were able to live your life, right? How many of you enjoy your cars? How many of you enjoy the heat and the air in your house? How many of you enjoy the comfortable bed you slept on last night? We enjoy earthly things, don't we? How many of you, how many of you pay attention to the stock market? when things go up and down. Here recently, as, as the coronavirus stuff is going on, a, a lot of people's retirements took a big hit, right? Because the stock, the stock market dropped and it's kind of trying to figure out and do its thing. But you know what those things are? We think of those things as important. Those things are earthly things. And it's not that God says, it's not that God says those things aren't important. It's not that God says those things are bad. As a matter of fact, if you read through 1 Timothy, Paul or Timothy Paul talks to Timothy about this idea that it is okay to be blessed with great things. It's okay to be blessed with wealth as long as you do something with it. You look at it, as he talks about here, in a heavenly perspective. You look at it and say, this is a blessing from God, and I'm now going to take this blessing from God that He has given me to enjoy, to show how much He loves me, and I'm going to turn around and use it to encourage and bless other members of our church family, members of our community. I'm going to use this blessing to give glory to God. That's how we look and focus on heavenly things instead of earthly things. That everything we look at on this earth, we look at it and go, okay, this is a blessing from God. How can I use it to return, give honor and glory to Him? And when we become a child of God, that needs to be the way that we train ourselves to think. But I think, I believe, I know it's possible that Satan does all that he can to help us forget that. He puts all these great things in front of us and says, hey, look at all these things. Look how well, you earned this. This is yours. Go enjoy it. This is about you, not about God. And if we're not, if we're, if we're not careful, we'll forget the importance of looking at things from a heavenly perspective and we will get back to our earthly blonders and we'll focus on those things instead of the things of God. So when I become a child of God, I see things from a new perspective. Paul puts it another way. Um, 
Well, I rather it's Jesus. He puts it another way in Matthew. He says, don't, don't put things where what? Rust and moth can break in and steal, okay? He says, rather invest. That's the word I like there. Invest your things in heaven. Invest in a spiritual way. Store your things there where nothing can harm them. Okay, so, so think about your perspective in life. Okay, here's the next thing I want you to think about with me for just a moment. Now I live with a new morality. Let's pick back up and start in verse 5. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in your life you once lived, but now you must also get, you must also rid yourself of all such things as these anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language on your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on a new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. I love this idea. Okay, so, so there's, there's, Paul uses this phrase here. He's also going to use this phrase, I believe if I'm thinking right, he's going to use it in 1 Corinthians. But it's this idea that you used to be a certain way. He, he, gives this, he gives this list of things that you need to put off, that you need to get rid of, and he wants to remind them, you used to be this way. That's the life you used to live. You used to be someone before your salvation, before that moment of your baptism, you used to be someone that lived an earthly life, that lived the way the world wants you to live, that lived the way Satan wants you to live. And he says, and I want you to remember something. These are the things that's going to cause the wrath of God to show up. He says, so in your life, you need to live to a higher standard. Now, here's what I think we do. Here's what I think we do. Let's say this is the worldly standard. All right? This is the worldly standard. Worldly standards and morals, do they tend to stay in one place? No. Many times they tend to do what? They kind of they kind of roller coaster. And, and because we're man, because we're human, our standards in a worldly sense are always going to trend where? Up or down? Down. That's just the nature of man. Okay? And what we do as Christians a lot of times is we say, hey, my standards need to be above the world. Would you agree with that? That my standards need to be above the world standards? Absolutely. But here's what's going to happen to us if we're not careful. Here's the world standards. Here's our standards. What we tend to do and the way we tend to think sometimes, as long as I'm above the world, I'm okay. And as the world standards dip, mine sometimes tend to dip, but I'm still above what? The worldly what? Standards. God calls us to something different. He says, this is my standard. This is where you live. doesn't matter what the world does. Don't worry about being above worldly standards because you can be above worldly standards and still be wrong, still be a sinner. He says, you live by my standards. You focus on the way I want you to live and don't worry about what the world's doing. You worry about this goal right here. Again, are we ever going to completely 100% achieve it no, we're not. But that doesn't mean we have to quit trying. That doesn't mean we can give up. That means we get up every day and we strive for it. We push for it. We, we try to grow a little bit every day so that we can get to that standard. I had a young man in my youth group named Gray Parrish. Gray Parrish was a guy that 
he was, when he was a teenager, he was a kid that I thought was never going to figure life out. And then he joined the Marine Corps, and it just took him down an even darker and more sinful path. And then he met his, his, his now wife, and I'm so grateful for her because she did what most wonderful women do to us men and put us on the path that we need to be on. And, and he is an amazing dad now, an amazing Christian man, an amazing leader. And, but I remember I would talk about this living God's standard, and he would say, I don't like to set the bar real high. I go, well, why not? He goes, I want to set it as low as possible every morning. I go, okay, Gray, why? He goes, that way I know I can clear it. And I thought there may be a little bit of truth to that. You see, if we wake up every morning and set the bar too high, we're going to feel like we're never going to be able to accomplish anything, right? But if every day we try to just be a little bit better, set that bar just a little bit higher, but to the point that we can clear that bar, the point that we can grow. And then the next day, we, we raise that bar a little bit higher, and then we clear it. It's kind of like running. If I wanted to go out and run a marathon today, you know how, I, how far I would get? You mark it, set, go. That's it. I'm done. All right? Now, if I took the time, and I took a year, and I made up my mind to train that I'm going to run a marathon the first weekend of October next year, could I do that? Yeah, but am I going to do it by running, what is it, 26.1 miles or whatever tomorrow? No, I'm going to have to do a little bit at a time, and then I'll get there. Living that standard of God is the same way. Don't think you've got to walk out this door today and be super Christian because it's not going to happen a little bit each day, a little bit each day. Just worry about growing a little bit each day. Read a little bit of your Bible. Pray a little bit harder. Love a little bit more. And then you'll turn around a year from now and you'll be amazed at how much you've grown. Live with this new morality. Don't worry about the world. Worry about what God wants you to focus on. Focus on it a little bit more each day. And then you'll see yourself grow into an amazing Christian, into the amazing Christian that God knows that you can be. All right, let's keep going. We're all equal in God's eyes. I want to talk about this for a minute from a couple of perspectives but I want you to look at verse 11 with me. Here, there is no Gentile, no Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, scathian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Now, what's the context in which we're talking about here? We're talking about being saved Christians, right? We're talking about being raised with Christ, having this new life. And what he's trying to get across to these Christians here in Colossae is he goes, the, the big challenge, the big challenge in Christianity in this day is what? Jew, Judaism, Christianity, or true Christianity? You've got these Judaizers coming around and they're trying to incorporate, they're trying to weave in all these old cultural things from the old law. And on Wednesday nights, we're talking about some of that a little bit more in depth. And Paul is constantly coming back and saying, no, look, don't, don't worry about that stuff. It's not about this old law stuff anymore. And what he's wanting them to see here, what he's wanting him to see here is, look, your salvation doesn't have anything to do with who you are, where you're from, or who your family is. That's what he's saying. He goes, in God's eyes, salvation is for all. Salvation is open to anyone. It's, 
Christianity is no longer an exclusive club, kind of like the Judaism thing was. It, it, the, that one group of people were God's favorite, and it only encompassed one nationality, one group, one family, basically. There's a lot of them, but it was one family, all from Abraham. He says it's not about being inclusive anymore. Salvation is for all. Now, I want to, to take a side point here and, and, and jump off of this and just make a, a quick reference to an idea that this passage and a couple of other passages where, where Paul talks about it's not an exclusive club anymore, we're all equal in the eyes of God. There are people within our fellowship that are turning that into a, an avenue for which leadership roles can be used by either men or women in the church. And that's not what Paul says in any of these passages. Paul is talking about the openness of salvation. Not we can all are just equal to be whatever we want to be in, in, in leadership roles or whatever. He is specifically talking about salvation issues here. And I think it's dangerous and I think it's wrong for us to take our own opinions and try to squeeze them into a verse here. And I don't ever want you to do that. But realize that Paul is not talking about that. He's talking about, hey, look, in God's eyes, everybody is free to come to him in this moment of salvation. And, and that's the point there. Let's, let's keep going because this is my favorite one. I experience life in a new family. I experience life in a new family. Let's start in verse 14. And uh, is that right? Verse No, verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, I want to stop right there. That word chosen can also be translated into a couple of different words. It can be elect, okay? Very similar to chosen. My favorite word it can be translated to is favorite. As God's favorite people. I want you to know that we all grew up thinking there's a favorite child in the family, right? Are any of you the favorite child in the family? Okay, only a couple, only three are, are willing to admit it. Um, I was the favorite for eight years until I had a sister, and she took that crown for me, and I've never forgiven her. Any of you were ever a favorite student? You were the teacher's pet. I was the band director's student. That was me. I was his, I was his favorite student. You are God's favorite. All of you. You're God's favorite. If you don't get anything else this morning, I want you to know that. If that's, where, if that's what you need this morning, if you don't feel important, you don't feel like anybody loves you, I want you to know this morning, you are God's favorite this morning. And let that just be something that encourages you. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. What's he saying there? What's he saying there? He says, we are what? We are God's chosen. So we all belong to who? God. But in a sense, we also all belong to each other. We also belong to each other. We are a family. We are all part of the kingdom. We, we are connected through the blood of Christ. And that's important. That, that, that's something that, that the world cannot offer. That's something that, that, that the world cannot say, I've got something better than that. Because you see, as individuals, I'm going to tell you something, as individuals, 
We're never going to be perfect. Okay, And even as a family, we're never going to be completely perfect. But you know what we can be full of? We can be full of love. We can be the most loving family that anybody has ever seen. We can be a family that we look forward to being with all the time. We, we, we need to be that family unit that when the world looks at us, they go, oh, that's how we're supposed to love each other. That's how we're supposed to forgive each other. That's how we're supposed to take care of each other. And we do it because the person sitting next to you is your brother or your sister. But what we are challenged with sometimes is sometimes those words carry some other meanings to us because maybe you grew up in a family where when we talk about God being your father, maybe you grew up in a family where the relationship with your father, maybe even your mother, that parent relationship was challenging. Okay? And, and now I'm going to talk to you about God being your father, God being your parent, and you carry some, some baggage with that word. And maybe that happens when we talk about brothers and sisters. That, that maybe your relationship with your brothers and sisters is a challenging one. And you don't want that relationship with anybody else. Okay, I get that. But listen to what he says here. Listen to how we're supposed to deal with each other. We don't always get this right. But he says, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself. Okay, this is how we're supposed to be. This is what we look like, all right? We're supposed to be people that are clothed with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Okay, that's supposed to be us. Now, as we talked about last week, we're not all going to whip those things together. You know, we're, we're, that's not going to, it's not going to, they're not going to define all of them. Okay, but with the Holy Spirit, He can help those things grow. We can, little steps every day struggle with. Why do we need to be that way? So that, verse 13, we can bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. You know what we're good at doing? Yeah. Danny, I forgive you. You stay in your pew and I'm going to go there. Have you ever been guilty of that? Saying you forgive someone, but it's really only in word. Jesus is hanging on the cross. And he looks at these people who have beat him, who have made fun of him, who have spent the better part of two years trying to do this, trying to get something to happen to him. And eventually they figure out how to skew all the rules and have him killed, have him crucified in what is a painful and humiliating way to die. And he's hanging on that cross and he looks to God and he says, God, give it to him. Is that what he says? He says, forgive them. Forgive them. And he says, that's how we're supposed to forgive each other. The same way that God forgave us. And it means, this is, this is the way I've always looked at forgiveness. Say Eric comes up to me and punches me in the face. Punches me in the face. I may look at Eric and go, Eric, I forgive you, but I'm never going to stand within arm's reach of Eric ever again. And a lot of you would go, well, that makes sense, right? I forgive you, but I'm never going to get close enough for you to hurt me again. True forgiveness is what? Eric, I forgive you, and then I still lock arms with him. And I stay as close to him in love as God wants me to. Does that mean that Eric's going to have the ability to hurt me again, to punch me? Yeah, because I'm right there beside him. But true forgiveness says, I put, I put all that behind me. 
we're, we're going to struggle with that. We're never going to get there perfectly, okay? We're never going to get there perfectly. But he says, if, if you're focused on the new perspective, the new morality, then, then you're going to be able to live this life. We can't forget these things. Our baptism should remind us of these things that when we look back, when we look back on that moment at that time, we are reminded of how powerfully it should have and should continue to change our life. Let's close our time today with a word of prayer, and then the lesson will be yours. God, I thank you so much for all that you do for us, all that you give us. I thank you for the love that you show us, the mercy that you just rain upon us. Okay, thank you so much for that, God. I pray that these lessons on salvation, on baptism, have fallen onto fertile hearts over the last few weeks, God. And I know that there are people here that question and struggle and wonder about their salvation. God, help us to help them through you to get rid of their questions, to not wonder about that anymore, to give them the assurance that we've talked about through this whole thing, that we know that we can be right with you and we know we can have a home in heaven with you when this life ends. Be with those people, God. Convict them to make the decisions that they need to make to have that relationship with you. Thank you for this time, God. May our time of worship always bless us as individuals, bless us as a church, and bring honor and glory into your name. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. If this program has been beneficial to you, please consider subscribing on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast provider. Also, we'd love for you to leave us a five-star review, which will greatly assist us in getting the message of God's love and salvation to others. We'd love even more for you to join us in person. We are located 